0: At least
1: that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: And we're back for an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III.
3: I'm Louis Fertel And the stench of the Emmys is still on me I'm fresh from the ceremony I was there with Jimmy Kimmel Live backstage With uh, Guillermo doing the bit we do every year there Watching the winners walk by So if I seem extra golden-y It's because the kiss of Hollywood is still on my neck Why am I like oh. a poet today? You ever wonder? <laughs> why, why am I like that?
2: <laughs> uh, did you have to step over his dead body?
4: Again? I did
3: <laughs> 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 also what's weird is so when that happened I saw his bit he did with Will Arnett which of course we pitched 450 alternatives for and they and ended up with that one which whatever they're funny together I missed Quinta actually accepting the speech because I was doing this bit with Guillermo so when people were like why did he lay down on the speech I was like it was a perfectly benign bit and I didn't realize oh he was still on the stage with Quinta when she won her award I totally missed that part <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was like the blood in Macbeth,
3: that's right, yes, uh as uh, as variety said, yes, they use the same metaphor
2: <laughs> uh how were how was big backstage
3: well it, it my particular position is fun because at the Emmys, they have a little kiosk set up for just the winners to walk through, so you mm-hmm. th- so they have like whatever entertainment tonight Nexus Hollywood and stuff, and then Guillermo has his own little station next to them. And the winners are, of course, really excited to give interviews because the stress of the night is over or whatever. And they're there to like, you know, toast the show and their uh, fellow cast members and stuff like that. So to be by those people, like while they're brandishing the Emmy is um, Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Like, for instance, like at the Oscars, you don't really get that. They just talk to, you know, all the main press, you know, at once
2: yeah oh yeah it's, it's like the firing squad at the oscars but.
3: yes right you know yeah it's like here comes somebody from croatia with the meanest question about your face yeah
2: <laughs> um well we're going to talk more about the emmys this week obviously we're we'll also talk about uh, the state of mourning we're in
3: oh god and um both of us yeah, wearing black j- i'm kidding we're both wearing like rainbow colors <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's what Jean-Luc Godard would have wanted cuz that's who's passing oh. him, actually in mourning for. Yes, um, he's
3: uh he was 93, correct?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, um which of us is masculine and which of us is feminine.
3: Oh, well, if I'm <laughs> masculine that's too bad. So
2: <laughs> me I'm breathless.
3: Yeah. That I see. Yes. Ooh, Gene Seberg, oh. we salute you. Marshall Tone, Iowa's own.
2: I'm I'm John Luke Godard's Breathless, and you're Madonna's I'm Breathless.
3: <laughs> and Madonna famously obsessed with the movie Breathless, This is why she was named Breathless.
2: Is that what she was
3: named in? The she movie? she is fucking obsessed with that movie. It comes up a lot. Yeah.
2: Mm, I think you can see that um, you know,
3: in in uh, in WE. Oh, sure. Definitely. I, and I know we've talked about this before. I think she is the best part of Dick Tracy, a movie that otherwise sucks.
2: I like Dick Tracy, but I was.
3: It would be very off brand if you didn't like it. Yeah.
2: I was especially enamored with her in that film.
3: She is, she's giving it. Oh, yeah. Also, those songs, you know, I know we both love that soundtrack. Yeah. Back perfect. in Business, more great songs.
2: Uh, but no, um, the queen died. Oh, yeah, so, right. Yeah, well, we'll talk We'll talk about her. Uh, and we'll talk about my new queen, Camilla, <laughs> up in the castle.
3: <laughs> Cam- I have to say, shows. you, <laughs> you <said> doing shows. <laughs> what kind of shows? I will say, no, I support any British woman who has the same silhouette as Christine McVie. And that is always what Camilla Parker Bowles has been. So... <laughs>
2: Uh, sometimes side chicks do win. That's right.
3: Oh my, isn't that
2: beautiful? She played the long game.
3: Right. I mean, I, I would say we should call this the Angelina uh, rollout.
2: <laughs> I mean, truly imagine waiting out your man picking someone else, right? Having children with him, the British public loving her and hating you, right? Her dying. Tragically. You getting married to him? People still hating you,
3: <laughs> right? You don't win any times, yeah.
2: His his mama has taken like um twelve Land Before Time sequels <laughs> to die, <laughs> and now you are finally up in that throne.
3: With, Come on, with King Charles and and and, and also the day after his unsightly fingers are unleashed on the public too so now it's like your your man is extra like we're not obsessed with him at the moment either so
2: (laughs) uh she's really been through it she's the true heroine of this story i want to see i i get what we'll we'll talk about this we'll talk about this but you know we've seen a lot of um we've seen a lot of biopics about the crown and the royal family and i'm like where's the definitive camilla
3: Right, no, Pablo Lorraine, get on this. Yeah, we had a yeah. we, we got a, a lovely performance as Camilla from Emerald Fennell. Again, we'll get into mm-hmm.
2: this. Yeah, but um, I want, I want, I want the Camilla biopic.
3: Yeah, you know? come on, Kitty. What's that woman who writes all those biographies? Kitty Wells, I forget her name. Uh, mm-hmm. Andrew Morton, get all these people. Get on it,
2: Olive Kitteridge.
3: Olive. Kitteridge. <laughs> 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 yeah, Francis McDormand, if you could get on this.
2: <laughs> also, to keep things British um, this week, I am joined by Edward Innenfall, the editor-in-chief of British Vogue, to talk about his new book, A Visible Man. It's his memoir. Uh, we will be right back with more keeping. The 74th Primetime Emmy Awards aired Monday night Hosted by Kenan Thompson, the big winner of the night was HBO. But my personal favorite winner of the night was Miss Cheryl Lee Ralph.
3: Oh, my God. And first of all, let me just say, I predicted that win. I'm sure you predicted it, too. But I said, when that happens... Something explosive is going to happen. Now, last year, we had Hannah Waddingham win. And as I noted at the mm-hmm. time, that woman is a true freak. She will <laughs> scream and, you know. And Unique. She, yes, right. She's she's from, she's a West End theater girl. Like, there's no rules over there. Um, Cheryl Lee Ralph, somewhat similar. A theater girl herself, you know, under rewarded in terms of actual accolades over the years, but beloved. Uh she was on Keep It uh recently, one of a wonderful guest, uh wonderful time mm-hmm. talking to her. And I knew we'd get something classic. I did not know we would get something Verdi's Aida level. You did not
2: know we would get Diane Reeves's endangered species belted yes. as soon
3: as she hit the stage. <laughs> when she had people Googling right away, I, I love a speech that gets people googling. What the fuck is that? Inclusion come up that this, yeah. writer. <laughs> Francis McDormand again. Wow. Is she paying you this week?
2: Uh, I'm on her payroll.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, no, the speech was marvelous. And, you know, yes, like we said, she was on Keep It. And I profiled her for the cut right. recently. Yes. Mm-hmm. And was at, it was in her home. Um, it's It was just a joy to see it. You know, and it's it's nice when everyone in the room is like happy for the winner.
3: Yeah. Also, it's like that happens in those categories. You know, when like a Louis Anderson wins or a Henry Winkler, you know, it's like typically tends to be a supporting role. This person who's been around forever has no like um, like everybody loves them. They They have they have no missteps in their past or whatever. And they finally, you know. I did not mean to say mm-hmm. that about Louie Anderson, by the way. I can think of a misstep or two in his past. But um, <laughs> but, but when, when Cheryl Lee Ralph won for Abbott Elementary, for a minute, she looked like she was at a complete loss for words. And I thought we were going to get one of those, you know, Anna Pack when Oscar wins where someone just gets up there and like nervously smiles. And then we got the opposite, which is somebody had prepared an aria for us.
2: <laughs> it's always so interesting when you think about moments like these because... There's obviously so many fucking great talents in Hollywood, you know, and a lot of them, you know, are like women and people of color. Um, And just to see like everyone cheering when they win an award, like finally, you know, and then you think about the people, you know, walking around with multiple awards who didn't really need them. Right. Sure the entire Modern Family cast.
3: Well, by the way, which reminds me actually of this (laughs) Emmys telecast, because what you mostly got was a bunch of repeat winners. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like Succession is one before. Ted Lasso is one before. And I don't think there's a person on this earth who thinks this season was as good as the first season of Ted Lasso. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. you got Julia Garner winning again. I think this time because we we threw her in a dungeon with Madonna for a couple hours recently, and (laughs) we were scared for her.
2: (laughs) Um, Murray Bartlett. Uh, that was a fun
3: win no okay here's my question about that this is like a philosophical question would you pick him to win from that cast because let me say something he was great on the show and memorable and like a, a bitter older gay guy which i believe is an underrepresented demographic in pop culture um please watch the movie bros by the way where this will be represented yet again um cute film the reviews are out as you all know but Murray Bartlett, did he win? And this is a spoiler. So if you're still intending to watch the White Lotus, you better shut this off and not ask me about it. Did he win because that character died?
2: I I th- think he won because that character did drugs and ate Luc- Lucas Gage's ass.
3: You think the ass-eating was what ultimately <laughs> did it?
2: I think people remember that character, yeah. to be honest. And I think when you look at this category... um. It's a lot of unmemorable things. I mean, I'm sure Dope Sick was good to whoever watched it.
3: <laughs> I have to um, say, I was happy for Michael Keaton. I'm like, I don't know that I know somebody who watched Dope Sick. And my girl, Mayor Winningham, is in that. So I've <laughs> got to get on that.
2: Um, And, you know, Steve Zahn and Jake Lacey are fun in um The White Lotus. I would actually say, like, Jake Lacey's, like, probably my other, like, favorite male who was in the show. Like, he was mesmerizing yeah. as an asshole in that. But um Murray was just like, he was dominating the culture for a minute. You know, like, mm-hmm. that role was really good. And Seth has... Seth was fine, but, you know, we didn't really care for Pam and Tommy, so...
3: Right. Um, no, I Um But I will say, Steve Zahn in that show, memorably, like, a, 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 a word I would not use in any other context. I feel like this is in the character description. Such a cuck... That I thought that was very memorable and very in the spirit of the kind of um, uh, spineless whiteness at the core of White Lotus, like sort of like centrally what that show is about. Mm -hmm. That said, I love Murray Bartlett. It just reminds me of, for instance, one year, um, this guy who was on Damages, Jeliko who who is also on like Mm. True Blood and stuff. He won for Damages. And... Throughout the series, you're waiting for him to have this Emmy winning moment. And then finally, there's something is revealed about the character. And then he kills himself, which, of course, is bracing. And you see it on the screen. But I always wonder, are we mistaking a character dying for good acting? Sometimes I wonder.
2: Mm. And while he didn't win, Jared Harris was uh, nominated for Mad Men, you know, after Lane Price committed suicide right right right
3: that yeah that's so, to me f- that's sort of typical of what would win the supporting category, or a guest uh, our kind of drama for example
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's why um, you know I think people should give friends more credit you know because I think that like uh every guest star who won on that show you know they die in their episode <laughs> like friends <laughs> is a more morose show
3: than people give it credit that's for. right when phoebe shoots gun close uh right on the show <laughs> i have to say that was, the, the, the audience was clearly stunned uh
2: um obviously um jennifer coolidge also won for the white lotus and yes. that was a great moment because another woman that like everyone loves
3: uh, yes very uh same band and i think the word moment is correct because she was on stage for seemingly seconds before they pulled the cane <laughs> on her they say, get off bitch no here's <laughs> the thing if you're the producer here's my question and jennifer coolidge is up there and she's she is being funny but she is also slightly discombobulated like kind of like trying to get to the beginning of her speech do you play the music absolutely not you just let, okay if you're the producer you would just let it go I'm like, you got the suits ride. breathing down your neck. You're like, okay. m- time is money, Ira, they're saying. And, and what's happening inside your head?
2: A speech like that is like, I don't know, sixes and craps. OK, you let it ride.
3: <laughs> you, first of all, you're going to run this work like the craps table and guys and dolls. First of all, <laughs> nicely, nicely Johnson over here. Well, listen. The Emmys
2: is the oldest established, permanent, floating <laughs> award show <laughs> in, Hollywood, in Hollywood.
3: Yes, very well. <laughs> Shout out to my girl Gene um, Simmons and Guys and Dolls, by the way. While we're on this topic, anyway. Uh, yeah. That said, when they played her off, and then she danced to the music. Come on, that's somebody who's been in eight <laughs> Christopher Guest movies, like just rolling with it. So funny.
2: Um, I think we have another um. Modern family on our hands. Um, Ted Lasso. Right. Enough is enough. <laughs> and it is wild that I'm saying enough is enough after a second year of wins. And like, I think we remember I was a Ted Lasso Stan. Right. Like, I was proselytizing for this show. Okay. I was showing up at people's homes with pamphlets.
3: Right. Telling them what soccer is, because we're still confused here.
2: Yeah, and quirky, homespun humor.
3: Yeah, right. So,
2: you know, Um, and now I'm like, I'm back to that thing where I'm like, uh, yeah, the Emmy's really just does like, they hook onto a show and then they keep giving it to people, you know? Oh, let me say Um,
3: about that. I do respect that because what that means is you actually did like the show. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not we're giving it to people because it seems appropriate or it's quote unquote time to move on. It's like if somebody is giving a great performance on a show, why wouldn't you keep rewarding them? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it might not be fun for the home viewer or uh, thrilling uh, or unexpected. But like the expected is also right in terms of a performance that keeps going, you know.
2: True. And honestly, listen, like no one is actually delivering a better lead actress in a comedy than gene smart right now totally right Hacks, you know like and no one's scripting a role for someone to do it
3: right no so, nobody has a problem with gene smart winning absolutely not please
2: yeah and um it was actually nice to see um um li zhong jay um win for squid game uh yes. he was so good like he was he was really what pulled you into that fucking show you know like amazing and um beat out you know all the other people that you'd expect um
3: also squid game did deserve something the scale of that show like just what it accomplished mm -hmm. it needed something so
2: and it was like the biggest show it's it's still why i feel like um tom cruise could get an oscar nomination i'm like squid game was the biggest show you know and it's like it was television the past year right just like top gun maverick is brought back movies
3: um, uh, succession right now definitely is the new West Wing and that we're sort of making our way around to all the ensemble members getting their moments on the Emmy dais. Mm-hmm. and I was I, I felt particularly vindicated that Matthew McFadyen our Mr. Darcy uh, oh, finally I got the him. win I mean that character is so great and to me I consider it um, come up and so the fact that um, Pete Campbell and Mad Men never got the Emmy so to me this mm. is Vincent Carthizer rising <laughs>
2: Um, also shout out to Brian Cox who, um, after, um, succession one, um, for best drama, um, was asked if succession is going to like come back again. He's like, we haven't been renewed for season five, but, um, he doesn't want it to, uh, hold on. I don't know if there will be a fifth season. No one's had their contracts renewed. Who knows how long it will go on? We don't want it to overstay its welcome, like billions. That's past <laughs> its sell by date. In your
3: face! Whoa. He is
2: such. He is such a cunt, and yes. I love it.
3: Oh my god! Also, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this will have aired by now, so I can talk about this. Brian Cox stopped by our little kiosk backstage with Guillermo, and I don't know why we chose this for him, but we made him take a "Which Succession character are you?" BuzzFeed quiz. So he's like scrolling on an iPad and picking things. This man on camera is—he's he, like. Which Hogwarts house are you? Hufflepuff. It's like so crazy to see. And he goes for it and by the way he he does it twice and doesn't get his character either time. He gets Connor and then he gets Tom, which is very funny because those are the two characters you definitely don't want to be. But uh No, I I love just the the, the owned bastardliness. Bastardliness. Mm-hmm. We used to have this in Hollywood, you know. The Peter O'Toole's, yeah.
2: Yeah. um, You know, my favorite country song, Where Have All the Bastards Gone.
3: Oh, yes. Paula Cole. That's exactly what she was wondering. Every episode of Dawson's Creek. (laughs) And the answer
2: was Dawson.
3: (laughs) They're right here, Paula. Jesus. (laughs)
2: Justice for Pacey. Yeah. Um, If they rebooted that, I'd like have Dawson dead and it just be Pacey's Creek.
3: I think that's what everybody wants. I, I feel like when you talk about that show, Pacey comes up immediately, and then everyone just stops talking about it. Uh, did anything yeah. else happen at the Emmys that we were obsessed with?
2: I'm obsessed with the fact that Saturday Night Live is still winning Outstanding Variety Sketch Series, and, and also the fact that there are only two to nominate that and a Black Lady sketch show. But with those two nominated, people were just like, sure, enough,
3: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, it's like John Oliver uh, winning Varieties show again. Uh, we, 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 sat, we were standing backstage and people were like, oh, do you think this is our year? And everybody exchanged glances like, are you a fucking idiot? Absolutely not. <laughs> a little fig new was going to take Oliver. it again. Yeah.
2: Um, I loved Lizzo winning.
3: Yes. Okay. I have a question about that show. Uh, does it exist?
2: Um, Every time I log onto Amazon, there is an ad for it.
3: Okay, that doesn't mean they actually filmed it, <laughs> or that you can actually click on that. So who's to say?
2: Well, I mean, like the the title lives up to itself, though. I'm watching out for the big girls,
3: right? But I'm not watching, watching the big.
2: <laughs> watch out implies you're just noticing them, right? Doesn't imply that I need here. to watch it.
3: Yeah, right. They're yeah, they're over there
2: and uh shout out to zendaya for just being zendaya
3: also i guess she's 11 foot 7 she's tall she she's walked tall, in, she walked on through and i was like it, it was giving like eight eight children in a trench coat i was very confused
2: <laughs> she does put on a heel but like um the, i have a photo of like with zendaya and like jeremy o'hara at like the premiere of um euphoria the original season and like no joke like is right up to where we are.
3: Whoa. That, it, I mean, that's mind-boggling. Also, you uh, Gina Davis won a special Emmy. And mm-hmm. that was like the last time we had an 11-foot-4 actress. And I, I really yeah. miss that. You know, the, like the Sigourney Weavers, the actresses where we knew their trench coat sizes when they were on screen. Mm-hmm. That's what I miss.
2: Um, and anyway, Zendaya deserves a win as long as she um, is um, trapped in that basement acting out Sam Levinson's <laughs> fantasies.
3: <laughs> yeah, she's 1-2 now. Most of the people that like Brett Goldstein won his second, uh Julia Garner won her third. Yeah, lots of repeat winners tonight.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's the Emmys. Also like shout out to just like the point we are in our careers now where um half the people we see like the Emmys broadcasts are just our friends now.
3: I do have to say, it, it's. I want to say it's cool to see whomever Bowen Yang up there, and yet also mm-hmm. I'm like, but what happened to untouchable glamour? These are just people who hang out with me in Palm Springs. What? <laughs> I sort of miss it.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what happens when we peek behind the curtain. Uh, you know, does anyone? Does anyone think? Does anyone who actually knows him think like Leonardo DiCaprio's glamour?
3: Right. That's true. I mean. I, I saw that we all remember the dancing Coachella video. And I want to say that told well, the whole story. But
2: um, and I mean, like my baby, my, my, my husband, Andrew Garfield, you know, um, glamorous to us. But, you know, I'm sure he's just, um, I don't know, s- sitting around talking about um, talking about great British Bake Off or something with everyone else who really knows him. Right. What does yeah. he th- what does he think? Actually, I wonder what An- uh, Andrew Garfield thinks about.
3: Oh, I think all British people are, uh, I don't know about brilliant, but the word of the hour, bastards. So mm. I'm sure he has big opinions about who sucks. I bet he has lots of opinions about Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> I want to hear them. <laughs> I just want to launch. I wish
2: I wish we had Don't Worry Darling stuff to talk about this week.
3: I know. You would think we do. I mean, we were, we were deeply fed. I was like patting my stomach like Henry VIII. How pissed
2: off do you think Warner Brothers is that that movie didn't come out on Friday?
3: Right. No, no kidding. Wait, before we forget, what did you think of Keenan as host?
2: I thought Keenan was good. I love Keenan.
3: The, the opening number with like the dancing and stuff, I, I felt I was watching a teacher's assembly. You know, the teachers have come <laughs> together to present the history of the <laughs> Emmys for us. But you know what? It was yeah. cute. By the way, have a quaint award show. I don't need it to be naughty or uh, scandalous uh, right up top. Well,
2: you know, I think the scandal came from Gerard Carmichael's outfit. No,
3: that's true. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> the Kodiak bear that perished so that he could wear that. I <laughs> I lament it.
2: Skin the bear from the Polar Express.
3: Yes. Which, by the way, among bears that need to die, that one is number one. Because that movie is an F. Yeah.
2: yeah. Him, but not the Coca-Cola bear. I love him.
3: Oh, please. No, he's on our side. But like no, the Polar Express will go down as the first of like Tom Hanks's like six very dubious decisions. And he's made like four of those in the past year now. So just keep it in I mind. I think we've
2: lost. I think we've lost Tom Hanks, unfortunately. Yeah. I th- You know, the movie roles, the Chet Hanks of it all.
3: Right. Chet has taken off. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I've heard very good things about the new Julia Roberts and George Clooney film. And I'm like, who is going to free Tom Hanks and just. Put him in a comedy again.
3: Right. We, yes, please date somebody who runs a bookstore again. This is what we want from Tom Hanks. Be quirky. He was like accessible
2: quirky. Quirky, but like a quirky white man, but you didn't think he was going to like blow up a building.
3: Yeah. Uh, he, he had a conscience, a little bit of neurosis, and then on the side was pretty funny.
2: Yeah. Anyway, the Emmys just made me miss Tom Hanks. There we go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. When we're back, I'm joined by Edward Innenfall to discuss his new book, A Visible Man. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No. Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so
3: don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it.
2: and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting
3: things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire— Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths.
2: Black perspectives have not always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced, and Black is the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us.
3: Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts.
0: But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
1: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: He is the editor-in-chief of British Fogue and his new book, a Visible Man, A Memoir, is out now. We are delighted to welcome to keep it the ever-inspiring Edward Innenfall. Hi. <laughs>
5: Hi, thank you for having me on your wonderful show.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, The first question I want to ask, just, I mean, you know, what does it mean to be the editor in chief of British Vogue? Like, what does what does that entail? I feel like our listeners here like know only like we know American Vogue, yeah. we know what we've seen over the years, but like, what does that mean for you?
5: Yeah. I mean, you could say it's similar to what Anna Winter does at American Vogue, which is you oversee you oversee the content of the magazine, uh, the photo shoots, the words. Basically, the whole magazine. But the brilliant thing now is it's not just the magazine. So you oversee also the website, the digital content, entertainment, uh, no, a whole, a whole, what you call it, sort of a, a <laughs> whole, <laughs> not just a magazine anymore. It was just a, a whole brand.
2: Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Fashion Week just ended too, yeah. so I'm assuming you're still in New York um having recovered from fashion week what does fashion week look like for you i mean fashion. and what did this year look like as opposed to the previous years especially coming out of like um quarantine and all of that
5: i mean you know for for a long time we didn't see each other you know fashion week had to be halted um we sort of the industry pivoted to video so there was a lot of video designers showing video but now it's it's back full steam the new york shows everybody was there and you you had the feeling people wanted to be together again you know designers wanted to be together
4: again mm-hmm.
5: and it's a great chance for designers to show the message when you're there at their show i suppose it sometimes maybe a mm-hmm. video so it was really nice the togetherness was good we've been separated for so long
4: so yeah, yeah. the energy was good the do you
2: f- how do you feel like the separation has added to the fashion world? And what do you think, you know, maybe is missing since the, you know, time when people were together?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, creativity sort of needs connection, human connection. Right? So I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people came back more inspired than ever, more inspired than ever. Mm-hmm. But the beauty now is that you don't have to have a runway show. You can also say, I'm gonna mm-hmm. show a video. I'm gonna make a film. Mm-hmm. Because that's what COVID told us. So shows, videos going hand in hand, really a new way forward for the industry. So if you know, young okay. young designers can now also have a say if you don't have money, just have a major video.
2: hmm Um just to wrap up, I guess, like fashion week stuff, like were there any newer sort of designers that you were really inspired by this time? And who sort of shocked you from, you know, the the expected people, like, you know, the old guard, but who sort of, like, still gave you, like, a, oh, this is something new I wasn't expecting?
5: I mean, I have to say there was something always quite exciting. When a designer like Kim Jones at Fendi comes to New York
4: mm-hmm. and
5: designs a collection with Marc Jacobs, which was
4: tough. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
5: I never thought I would see that in my... <laughs> of my life but it was really really great how two sort of titans of the industry can kind of come together and create a new york moment you know there was the evangelista on the runway it was quite a moment so i think that for new york was amazing and then there was a vogue world show Vogue kind of show um where all the models yeah work. i saw and the clips was, from that yeah. that looked was, fantastic. fantastic yeah so i think that was good and then you had you know your, your young designers like Telfar and. And the host of other. I really don't like a single young designer. So I feel like they all worked so hard. Mm-hmm. But it was a great moment. Yeah. I feel like the energy was amazing in New York.
2: Really. Mm-hmm. When you look at designers, and um, you know who's going to be featured in Vogue, not just in the pages, but maybe on the cover. You know, in styling, like um, one of the like iconic covers you have. Um, what what goes into that process? Is it, does the celebrity and their team have a say? Is it who you choose to style or shoot the cover? You know, like, we see Beyonce on the cover, yeah. you know? Like, who decides what Beyonce is wearing, you know? Who decides what um, Naomi's wearing on her cover, you know?
5: I mean, normally, you know, um, as an editor on those, both of those shoots, you kind of work out an idea, you, know, you go back and forth with, with Beyonce, with Naomi, okay, this is the kind of idea. We're thinking we should do this photographer. Here are the clothes. And of course, you know, you have also, sometimes you have um, sort of advertising to think about, advertisers to think about, or sometimes you can just be like, let's just do Christopher John Rogers. That's just a new moment. Mm -hmm. Just like whatever moment suits that picture, I think. Like Beyonce on a horse, you know, you need a major silhouette. So it's like, let's do a liar, a liar. Naomi with the baby, you know, you have the baby, so you need a Valentina. So it's it's nice to have a movement on, on a shoot. It's not like set. We're doing this, and if it doesn't work, we still have to keep forcing ourselves. We must be able to pivot.
2: Mm-hmm. What's it even like with the process of who's going to be on a cover? I love when people try to figure out, like, who's going to be on any of the vote covers, <laughs> and it's usually by who has like a movie coming out or who's getting married or, you know, who has an album coming. And you, I assume, you know, you like have a calendar of looking at those items, but then there's also people where it's like, you just, you know, they get a cover because this is a moment for them.
5: I mean, I always say, you know, whoever is reflecting the zeitgeist. So yes, it could be some, a movie coming Mm -hmm. out, an album coming out, or it could be that you just want to shock. You know, like I remember in lockdown, mm-hmm. you know, they, they said all 60-year-olds should stay at home. We're like, here's Judy Dench. She's 85. Or we put essential yeah. workers <laughs> on the cover because they were out there, you know, putting their lives on the line. So here they were, real people. So I think sometimes you just got to go with the zeitgeist as well. Of course, there are always people lined up, you know, getting a vote cover. Thank God it's still a, an amazing thing for most people. But you should be also be able to mm-hmm. sort of surprise a bit element of surprise so the zeitgeist and elements
2: of surprise as well i'll say yeah and i mean you know what goes into you you talked about a new york moment um before you know for like fashion week and those things what would you describe as sort of a what's a british moment you know because like you know i'm an american you know so like what's a moment you know you uh when you're at cover you're like well this means something for the uk specifically you know like the cover with the queen, you know, earlier this month or something, or thinking of how you're going to honor her too now that she's passed.
5: Yes. I mean, you know, the British moment is always sort of a very, very creative moment. Britain is not necessarily, you know, we don't have the biggest sort of industry when it comes to, you know, like huge houses and, but we have young, young designers who get plucked by the world. So you think of McQueen, you think of John Galliano, Mm
4: -hmm. you
5: know, JW Anderson, they start small. So England is almost like a hotbed of ideas. So that's always a a British moment will always take your breath away. It's It's always like, let me take this and let me cut it and let me re-deconstruct it, let me put it together. You know, it comes from um, a need, you know, there's not much money in Britain, you know. Design, So it's, it needs to be creative. So that's one thing. And the queen, you know, the head of, you know, she's our head of state and, and she's passed and, you know, for the next, it's been almost it's five days now, but for 10 days, the country's in mourning, you know, and um, we all sort of action has seized on the British folks, sort of website, a lot of websites, just really paying tribute to this woman who gave her life sort of, you
4: know. Mm-hmm. a lifetime time mean, of
5: service. So the country's really in mourning.
2: Mm-hmm. And she gave fashion moments too. You know, you look those, over at the colorful suits. of like the photos. Yes. We
5: did, we did something in the magazine yeah. once where we did, we had the queen in all the different rainbow colors that she wears. Those coats. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, such a great style. You know, it's influenced so many designers from Misha Prada Products, Mark Jacobs. You know, her, her style was really, really mm-hmm. unique.
2: Mm-hmm. um brief aside like how did it feel being wrapped up in your wedding festivities and then the initial report where it was like the queen had died oh, months ago when it was like but on the way to your wedding like what did you even think about hearing that
5: <laughs> I, i'm just like who made that story up it, it, was, it was insane you know there we were you know it was, it was quite a close wedding outside of London, and my friend's um, sort of ancestral home, Longley. So we were in a bubble. And
4: then, mm-hmm. can you
5: believe, we come out of the wedding, the next day and I see that the Queen had passed on the way to my wedding. Someone said to me yesterday, oh my God, you killed the Queen twice. I'm like, no. <laughs> it was all falsities. I've never met the Queen. She was not on her way to my wedding. But that became a story. <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. <laughs> I would have loved for her to come to my wedding, but unfortunately she wasn't.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean the wedding did look gorgeous. I love I feel like I feel like that's such a picturesque place for a wedding. I have two friends who just got married recently wow. in um Oxford at Blenheim Palace. Mm. And I love um them it's I know, yeah it's, it's just that when you're there arriving it just feels like the english countryside something about it just says wedding
5: oh the english countryside is completely amazing and you know and the locust of the, the, the village around the wedding everybody was so excited you know and you do bring a lot of money into the economy because a lot of people have to book hotels and you know mm-hmm. places to stay and places to eat so it was a really great moment yeah
2: mm-hmm. Right. Um. Well, let's talk about your history a bit. In this book, you know, um, I was really intrigued by the um, stuff you were writing about, you know, your time at ID, you know, like when you were first coming up, um, you know, in the city. Um, How do you look back on, you know, sort of what you learned then? And what, what was it about, like, the energy of the fashion world then as opposed to,
5: now, I mean, I started an ID in sort the of very, very late 80s, early 90s, you know, and we really didn't even know there was a fashion industry in Paris or New York or Milan. And we just wanted to sort of create images that reflected our realities, which was we go down the market, you take the clothes, you put it together, you try to out-customize each other. But I remember being an idea. I started when I was fashion director when I was 18. And my God, I had to do everything on my own. I didn't have an assistant. But the beauty of that time mm. was I, I would work in the art department. I would shoot a cover, style a cover, write the shopping pages, run around London trying to get tidbits, do the ID club nights, being advertised and learning how to sell. And you know what it did? It gave me the perfect insight into how to run a magazine, which is really helping me today. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I just didn't survive. I was so young. I'm like, I'm not going back home. You know, I'm going to make this (laughs) one, And the energy at the time was amazing. You know, you have people like Kate Moss starting out, Naomi Campbell, you know, designers like John Galliano. And we were all like, you know, Mm -hmm. how did we make London happen after the big 80s excess, you know? So, you know, we did grunge, you Mm -hmm. know, which was like a a rejection of anything that was um, 80s inspired. And we just helped each Mm -hmm. other, really looked after each other. And the energy was well. We went out all the time. We never stayed at home.
2: Yeah. You go out, and then you go to
5: club.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were, like, the hot spots of then? Are any of them still around? I'm sure oh most of them are gone.
5: Oh, my they all gone. There was the White Club. There was the Mud Club. There were, earlier, there was the club called Shum. There was the Ministry of Sound. I mean, you name it. And we were at every one mm-hmm. of them. Every single one of them. <laughs>
4: I, re- I remember <laughs> my friends
5: like, because we all worked together, and we all put a played together. So we will all go out mm-hmm. and just just drug ourselves from a club, shower, and go to work. That's what we did. Yeah, you
2: know.
5: <laughs> don't have the energy. Now. I love
2: just like, I love you know I love hearing about just that era because you even think about you know the fashion then you know pre pre even like MTV pre like you know networks airing things all, all the time where you could sort of get them globally yeah. like even imagine even what it was like, like finding out about a new designer um, or like how people would get their stuff across the pond. Yeah.
5: I mean, you know, finding out about American designers, you have to rely on your friends. A lot. You know, we have lots of
4: mm-hmm.
5: sort of like-minded people out across the pond. who were like, Oh my God, Johnston just dropped this. Or this young American. And we'll be like, Oh my God, we have Judy Blaine. We have house abuse of culture. And there were only two magazines really in England that, with underground culture. One was mm-hmm. ID and one was the face. And then I think in America, mm-hmm. you had like early, early issues of details. And, you know, you had Susan Barsh throwing these incredible parties and they'll come to London. Mm-hmm. I remember going to one of Susan Barsh's parties, kids dressed up and, for the, and I saw for the first time a drag queen on stage and it was RuPaul. So it was so incredible. that like mm. the underground knew each other in both in sort of both cities, and that's how you really found. It. Yeah, like today, you know, where everyone you can find out anything on social media. We didn't have that back then.
2: Mm-hmm. Suzanne Bar still throws a great party. Well, she here. was amazing. Uh, it's so much fun. <laughs>
5: I love Suzanne Bar. <laughs> you know, but she would bring out all, all all these designers and all these clothes, and we would just soak it up, and they'll soak up some sort of the British energy as well.
2: Hmm. What is there any fun moment you remember from early days of like you know like your Kate the Naomi's like the icons like before they were the icons like a moments of like you even like your early nights out or like them going to places where it's like and people didn't even know who they were but they made sure people did know who they were
5: <laughs> I mean I always talk about in my book when I talk about first meeting Kate and I was I was modeling mm-hmm. and I was 16 and I went to a casting and you know back then we had no Cash. So that one job, every model wanted it in London, and it was a Pepe job. Mm. And I went in, and you know I was young, and you know I was always so insecure. Anywhere I didn't even know I was modeling, and I'm sitting there. And this girl walks in. <laughs> <laughs> this girl walks in, scraggly hair, sort of uneven teeth, but just lit. When I tell you, literally lit up the room. Even at that mm. age, I was like, my God, that that girl, the girl I've been seeing in the face magazine. They've been shooting little pictures of her there, here and there. I'm like. That's a star, And then we became friends and every nightclub, you see Kate smoking, every nightclub, Kate smoking to drug you to her house, to go to her wardrobe. And before you know when mm-hmm. the sun was up, she always, she, Kate always doing a fashion show. You know, she looks, <laughs> and she still about the outfit after outfit. And Naomi, we met in um, Paris when I was like, you know, I need to, there's this young model that everyone's talking about. And she's going up with my tie since So we need to get her for the cover. And I remember going to Paris and we saw each other. She was so cute. She had the Whitney Houston curls. The the moment when she had curls, that was 92, 93. And we did the shoot and she's like, come with me. We're going to Dublin. You know, we have a plane. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'd like to come. I had all about $20 in my pocket. So that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) But even then, she does
4: something.
5: (laughs) We call it, you be Naomi. You can, you know, you pop down the road to visit Naomi. Before you know it, you're on a
2: plane to India, or or China, or wherever. You don't know what happened, how you got there, but you've been Naomi. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, when you first, you know, joined um, British Vogue, you know, what was what's going through your mind? You know, this is an institution. You know, and um, how did you want to shake it up? I mean, you had just come from Vogue Italia mm-hmm. to like doing, I mean, I remember uh, I was in, I was living those first year in New York, actually 2007 and 2008. But I remember running to the newsstand and getting um, the all black issue. Oh, yes. Everybody was talking about that, you know, like um, what when you came to British Vogue? Like what, what were you like? I got to do this. And what were you like? I, we need to not do this anymore.
5: Yeah. I mean, for me, when I hit British work, i had been at Italian Vogue. I've been at American Vogue. And I've been at W. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just saw sort of an institution that needed to change. I looked around at all my friends. You know, they were all different, different races, different ages, different religious backgrounds, sexuality. I'm like, for me, a magazine has to reflect this. This is just what the world mm-hmm. is. So I'm like, if I'm going to create a magazine, I'm going to create a magazine that showed beauty in all its colours, all its shapes and forms. And really, that's what I did. you know. And I remember I, I kept saying, you know, I'll probably get fired, but I don't care because I'd rather get fired for what I believe in, what the world should be than trying to, you know, tiptoe around what fashion should be. And in 2017, it wasn't a conversation that people were having, diversity or inclusivity. So fast mm-hmm. forward, you know, and it was a huge, you know, in the beginning, people, there was pushback, but in the end, everybody accepted it. And now I look around at all the other magazines and it's not a big deal having, a, you know, a curvy girl or, or a gay woman or a mm-hmm. woman in her 70s. And I feel like, you know, that's some, that was a good shakeup. That, that, it needed to happen. Mm-hmm. So which is what we did. And I'm very, very, very proud of that. And what we stopped doing was mm-hmm. just make it all about one type of woman you know, cause that wasn't even good. That's not even good business when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So when people, see, you know, I obviously, when, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. So British folk success really is that people see themselves in it every month, not in a special issue. Every month you open,
4: mm-hmm.
5: whatever, it's a rainbow coalition of incredible people. So I'm very proud
4: of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Two things I want to ask about that. One, um. It's so interesting that you know, you had to talk about um bringing in like you know like this inclusivity into the fashion world because I feel like people who are raised on it um and you know, want to be a part of that world, like especially when you think of like middle America, what they think of the fashion world, they just think it's all like um uh, queer people, like every kinds of like trans or like different identity, and it's um interesting, you know, to even hear that like it wasn't that no you know, and um. from coming up where you were um, started out to where you started at British Vogue, like was there a specific time or a magazine that you might've worked at or not worked at where you were like, that was a model of like what you thought the fashion industry should be, you know, like was there one place that was like really getting it in like a sort of like it had a lot of different voices or has it always sort of been you know
5: what? Funny enough, the only magazine that had that, when I was growing up, was ID ID magazine in the face, mm. and I remember because I was part of it from so young. When you look at the work back then, it was a, it was like what what we do now at British Vogue. It was all the races, like, all different ages, sizes, religions, and that's really what I carried on to British Vogue. You know what
4: mm-hmm. what
5: the world looked like. I always say, you know, the world should really fashion should reflect the world we live in. You know, so I've always carried that with me. Yeah, ID in the face were kicking it back then. And they still are, and so really, that's an ethos that I I learned from a very young age. That fashion should, really should be inclusive; it should include everybody.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I love the face. I did a um, I did a Travis Scott profile for oh. the Face Cover like a few years ago. Oh, yeah, my that God. was it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I love them. I love them over there. Yeah. Um, the second one it, question is you can't miss the fact that everyone is always like the British Vogue covers are iconic and it's always compared to American Vogue. What do you think is the, you know, sort of flavor that you have going on with the British Vogue covers and why people love them? The mo- Like they're having their moment this year and last year and everything. Like people love a British Vogue cover. Um, and what do you think um, just, you know, American magazine covers are missing in general?
5: I mean, you know- no, I feel like in you know, America, that's, that's, it's the great job that it's meant to do. And in England, you know, it's like we talked about the English, what we do in England is we always experiment. We, you know, mm-hmm. we, you know we don't have to sort of please millions and millions of people. So we just, we, there's more room mm-hmm. for experimentation. And, and that's what we do. And we just go with our instincts. And, you know, we don't think, you know, we did the activist cover and it was like a gatefold, black and white of 30 activists on the biggest issue of the year. But, you know we just you know like i said we just take a lot of chances and that's how that's how we did from the very minute i started it was about taking chances and, and showing a new way i mm-hmm. shooting covers
2: so, um you know. i love that would you would you sit down to write a book like this um what do you decide goes in what like what do you decide you're leaving out like oh what's what's the process of writing a book as opposed to you know guiding a book that is full of pieces that other people have created yeah. you know this is this is your piece yeah.
5: i mean when you're, obviously you know when you sit down to write about your life in any way you must for me you must be prepared to let the world know the moments that matter. And there were so many moments, but I think they kind of come to, came together naturally because I started from when I was young and sort of ended now, you know, over eight chapters. So I just there were certain stories that I wanted to tell that, you know, it wasn't just about the successes, but it was also about the failures in my life. You know, it was about the, the suffering, you know, sort of overwork, dealing with drinking when you're at a young age. You know, de- dealing with health issues because I have, you know, anemia. So, those hard moments coupled with fun moments were very important. For me, I wanted to show the young generation basically that when you see somebody like yourself, myself, that's a story. Like, we didn't just get here. And that story wasn't just all about success. So, for me, it was about visiting those stories that were really tough, as well as some fun moments. And there were too many fun moments. So, you know, might mm-hmm. be
2: another book. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we definitely need a big one with like photos and like you know, need we need one of those. We need one of those moments. You know, um, I love a I love a memoir that's also about someone who's worked in fashion. Um, were there any memoirs that sort of like inspired you as you were writing this, or ones that you've always you know just sort of like loved um, to read and they don't even have to be fashion memoirs yeah. as well like other memoirs that might have inspired you. I mean
5: there were so many memoirs that I like, you know, I love I love Michelle Obama's memoir, I love um Ondjili mm. memoir. I even like Tina Tina Brown's Vanity Fair diaries, but I just knew that my story was so different, you know, sort of leaving, mm. having to flee a country to another country, arriving being penniless, being I mean my story was very different from everybody. So really I wanted to write A book that sort of gave you an insight into fashion, but also just told young people or people who have always been seen as outside, people who have been othered, which is really what I was, black, gay, working class, all that, that you can make it in your industry through sort of being resilient. So for me, that was really what was on my mind, that you can make it when the odds are stacked up against you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It, it's a memoir, but it really... I think a lot of people expected, you know, here we go, this party, that party, this party. And that really wasn't mm-hmm. my... was part of my story, but it wasn't really
4: mm-hmm.
2: all of it. Um, I mean, what I really love about it is it's, it's very... Um, it's very frank, but it's also very inspiring. You know, it's... Um, you. Obviously, you know, like, you know, yeah, we you, when you're other, you never want to compare um, people just because, you know, they're just because they're both black, just because they're both gay, just because they've both been in the industry, you know, but it's, I feel like it's not hard to read this after having read, you know, like um, Andre's, yeah. you know, book. And, you know, I, I compare this a bit more to um, when after he passed, you know, when, you know, people were talking about the Chiffon trenches, you know, like some of the sadness of that. This has reminded me a bit more of, you know, like ALT, like his original memoir. There you know, no that one had so much, promise and hope in it uh people people forget about it it
5: was a good one yeah and andre you know andre was was so kind to me like when i was you know i was the only one in europe Mm -hmm. essentially and i was the only token if you want to say that but you know like i said i brought my friends with me i brought pat mcgrath was my best friend and naomi and you know ben scurvin and we we became a little crew in the fashion industry. And Andre was always kind to me, always had kind words for me, supportive words, you know. And I always say, if it wasn't him, I wouldn't be here because he paved the way. And he was the only one really of of his generation too.
2: Yeah. Um, Lastly, I just want to ask, you know, besides fashion um, and your work, like what else in the arts, what what creatively inspires you? Oh my God.
5: I mean, I love sort of, I love a lot of art, which is really, really sort of inspiring to me. I mean, Linnet Yardom incredible, you know. I love like old Wangichi. One, one so the art world always inspires me, but also music inspires me. I feel like we're in the, what I call the great flat, where, you know, mm-hmm. we do fashion, music, film, all go hand in hand, you know. I'm inspired by culture anything under the umbrella of culture so it could be a good movie it could be a good film a good book you know i'm just always curious i think you can't lose curiosity
4: mm-hmm.
2: well thank you so much for being here thank it's you for really having me a visible man yes people need to read it uh, thank, you. thank you for being here on the show oh, yeah my
5: pleasure i hope to meet you soon
2: a visible man a memoir is out now wherever you get your books
1: at least that's good the UPS store be unstoppable most locations are independently owned product services pricing and hours of operation may vary see center for details come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time you like to watch new stuff right well go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time
2: Queen Elizabeth II. She's dead. This
3: is me finding out right now.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Damn it.
3: I I know you were such
2: a fan. Uh, She died on Thursday at the age of 96 after a statement was released saying the Queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health. Various members of the royal family rushed to her Scottish home and her death was announced later that day. And let's just say... She'd been dying for a minute. It mu-
3: she must have been.
2: I mean, come on.
3: Also, what a there strange statement.
2: No she was statement. rushed to the hospital. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, people arrived there within seconds.
3: No, the, the statement being like, oh, they're concerned for her health. Oh, now you are? Minutes before she died? Liars.
2: Yeah. Anyway, a lot going on this week. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it, it brought out a lot of insane people.
3: Well, also everybody had like the expected takes, like how can you mourn this woman when she presided over this, this, and this? Like we don't know the royals are, you know, historically a trash heap, whatever. But um, mm-hmm. and whatever. Like I expect that. So it, 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 that yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm unhappy to see it or mad to see it. I expected to see it, but you were never going to get like uniform. Let's let's have a a, a merry parade in this woman's honor. Uh, right which Twitter. is which
2: is good you know and like people deserve to be angry um with the crown and colonialism and it's 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 actually wild how many people came out in defense of like you must revere the, the crown and like the the monarchy and i'm like okay some of you are american and this is very weird
3: yeah no um i i i This will be the first and last time I ever dragged this person. But Liz Fair had a very bizarre tweet being like, shut up. The Queen's been wonderful for 70 years. I was like, what? Elizabeth Clark Fair. What is happening? The Winnetka, Illinois jumped out. Yeah.
2: She blocked me.
3: What? So
2: so I don't know if she's going to be coming on Keep It anytime soon. What did you do? I I, I responded. um, Oh, no. No, you
3: didn't. (laughs) Think of me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I responded
3: well that's not very whip smart of you <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately funny unfortunately great album by the way I literally have it on, on my wall behind me if you're watch, if you watching the um, YouTube show you can see whip smart right there mm,
2: if you play it backwards you can hear the Queen's Christmas Address from 1984 Okay, <laughs> the Liz whole record favorite,
4: huh? her
2: yeah.
3: favorite <laughs> uh, Sandra Bernhardt too what did she do? She tweeted about the queen. No, she's done a couple Respecting of dubious things over the past 15, 20 yeah. years, too. So that's sort of that scans. <laughs> I was surprised by Liz.
2: Yeah, I was like, what is going on, baby? <laughs> um, but the, it, I really will say that, like, people who are obsessed with the monarchy and the crown, it's. It's baffling. The like, I, I there was a report that the viewership of The Crown jumped up by four hundred percent over the weekend.
3: Like you were going to get new information about the Queen from this <laughs> she, very <laughs> dramatized series.
2: <laughs> uh, the people who turn it on thinking, oh, the, like she died. Like, was that the last episode that happened?
3: Right. Yeah. Oh, this is the news now. I'll just turn it on.
2: <laughs> um.
3: Claire Foy, but though, w- one of the definitive performances, not just as the queen, but royalty performances ever. I mean, uh, w- when The Crown came out, I almost feel like we were inundated with news about how lavish it was. And we were unsure because it was slow moving. We're like, is there any like actual historical interest here enough to make it good? And this show is fucking amazing. Like we'll, we'll be looking watching the, the Crown for years and years and years.
2: Hmm. Um, who else have you loved who've played the queen?
3: The Queen. Well, 2006 is a very um, specific best actress year. It's when Helen Mirren won for The Queen. But really, there is an argument for everybody in that category. And I, I think that's the year I go back and forth on the most. Because you've got uh, Kate Winslet in Little Children, arguably her one of her deepest performances ever on screen. You've got Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. Literally, the only knock against her is maybe that's not a lead performance. But of course, it's the iconic performance from that um, movie and certainly her most devastating comic performance. Uh, you've got Volver, Penelope Cruz. Come on. I mean, like a mode art underrepresented in Oscar history anyway. And then that performance, um, so lived in, so fabulous. And then you've got uh, Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal, which... Has a lesbian ever been more terrifying?
2: Mm, that's fair. You know
3: what? Outside of Sandra Bernhardt.
2: Mine might be shocking. Go ahead. Vanessa Redgrave.
3: Oh, in uh Mary Queen of Scots or what?
2: In in Pixar's Cars. <laughs> <laughs> she played the cars. I just want to say the
3: queen. <laughs> the amount of the amount of credit I gave you that I thought you had seen the movie Mary Queen of Scots, and you are talking about fucking cars. <laughs> I have uh, not seen Cars. Go ahead, explain what she achieves in Cars.
2: Uh she achieves a, a kind of um. Yeah, go ahead. Presence and uh, yes, tenacity present. that will, you know, it's there were essays written about it in car here's to cinema.
3: Oh, I oh, I'm sure. Is it a post-it note? You you slid into a de cinema.
2: It is. It okay. is. It was when I interned there briefly.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> They're like, we got to get rid of this guy. Uh, <laughs> what does he work for? Buzzfeed. He should work there.
2: Um. But no, I, I I also would agree. You know, obviously, you know, um, I like Kristen Scott Thomas.
3: Just like her, anyway. And I like when she turns up on a red carpet looking wacky
2: yeah um i've seen like clips of it but um she played the queen in the
3: audience um like on stage so correct correct um i mean i think my favorite performance of a royal ever still i want to say we've talked about this best actress here too in fact i already brought up gene simmons earlier tonight um uh, genevieve bujold in anne of the thousand days have you ever seen this movie No. Okay, so it's her as Anne Boleyn and uh, 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 Richard Burton as Henry VIII. And it basically treats Anne Boleyn, like she's crazy like a fox. She's somebody who's Mm -hmm. um, obsessed with power. And then, of course, obviously she gets beheaded eventually, but she's trying to wrest power and she's like scheming and using the people around the king. And for a three-hour movie, and it is literally three hours, she is amazing. And also... I mean, I, we've seen Genevieve Bujold in like uh, Dead Ringers. Uh, she's in House of Yes, if you remember that movie. Mm-hmm. But yes, th- yes, this movie, it's just so much fun watching her try to uh, correct history, basically, trying to outsmart, uh, you know, a world of men that she's surrounded by. And uh, uh, I don't know that I'd give her the win that year, because that's Maggie Smith mm-hmm. in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. And I, as I've said, previously it's ba- that role is basically Mary Poppins for gay bastards
2: uh um listen you're talking about Anne Boleyn and we're talking about other royals like one of my favorite trashy films is the other Boleyn girl
3: I don't think I've seen it
2: Ah, uh, Natalie Portman Scarlett Johansson Eric Banna. that movie is beautiful trash
3: what happens in the other Kristen Scott girl?
2: Thomas plays Elizabeth Boleyn in it you've got Jim Sturgis you've got Mark Rylance you've got Eddie Redbane, Juno
3: Temple Andrew Garfield's in it um, while we're on this topic can I formally request that Mark Rylance stop dressing like a silent film star um, I find it annoying <laughs> and <laughs> creepy <laughs> You'll just see like an ensemble of actors. that's like, oh, who's what? Who's Stan Laurel over there? Oh, it's Mark Rylance and is dressed like the fucking Monopoly guy.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's it's sort of about, um, you know, the the alleged incest and everything that happened. You know, uh, Anne and you know when she's imprisoned. And I just I think it's fun and I think it's trashy. And um, Peter Morgan did the screenplay, so.
3: Oh, well, we love that. Um, Peter Morgan is trustworthy in this department. Um, Yeah,
2: but the director is Justin Chadwick, who did... um,
3: God, do you remember Tulip Fever? I mean, I certainly didn't see it, but I remember the... I I, I remember the curiousness of that movie finally being delayed. It was delayed all these years. It, It was mostly a bland movie. All the critics were like, you know, you forget it as soon as you leave the theater or whatever. But it was released so late I don't know what year, like 2015, 16 or whatever. 2017. 2017. Like
2: right before, um, right before we started the show.
3: Yeah. 2017. And Matthew Morrison was in it. And I'm not saying Matthew Morrison is incapable of booking a role, but it's the kind of role you get because you're on a hit show at the time. And obviously Glee had long ended. So it was very strange seeing him in that movie.
2: And, you know, like Alicia Vikander's in that. And she was probably like, why now?
3: (laughs) She's like, I'm not doing much right now. Please.
2: (laughs) Let it die. And of course, that was, you know, the like, that was the last film released by the Weinstein company. and You know, that was like Harvey's obsession.
3: Yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. And Judy Dench is still in it. The one time Harvey, super associate, mega associate. Basically the the reason he is associated with prestige, he made Judy Dench happen.
2: Yeah. You know, um, she'll pay for her crimes.
3: (laughs) I cannot get over how she said, I can't do the James Bond movies anymore. After all, I'm blind. And she has since done 70 movies where she sees perfectly fine (laughs) sense. She's like, carry on. She's like, I'll do Belfast, whatever. Put me in that murder on the Orient Express shit. I don't care.
2: Just scamming. Yeah, no. Um who who, who among us wouldn't lie to get out of um the Bond franchise?
3: No, I mean it, it's it, it's as close to Marvel jail as you can be in while you know being associated with novels of the past. Yeah. Judy um, Dench's Marvel Universe.
2: Well, I think that's, I think that's yeah. all we have to say about the Queen. I'm trying I to mean Yeah. I mean, like Well let's to- cast let's cast Camilla. Oh, God. The definitive Camila. Well, what age do you like, want biopic? her? Like biopic.
3: What age do you want her?
2: I want... My Camila story has to be like around... Or around like and sort of like after um, Diana's death. I think mine would be more of like a Jackie.
3: Got it. Um, how do we feel about Vera Farmiga? Hmm. I also feel like Vera Farmiga has a lightly dotty thing about her that would just suit uh, 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 any British performance, let alone the cool take I want on Camilla.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm like looking at her in 95 and, you know, she had a bit of a... um, I'm writing letters into the broadcasting company because there was um an interracial romance <laughs> on my television screen. Look to her face. Sure. You know?
3: <laughs> that look, yes.
2: Yeah. Um, oof, yeah. Who's she's like a stern face, too. Which is important. Unfortunately, whoever plays her is going to be hotter than she actually is. But
3: we'll allow it. Fine, whatever. Um, yeah. the hair is what's important. She's really got that. So, well, sometimes mm-hmm. it's 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 flared out, but sometimes it's really got that Bunny McDougal from Sex in the City thing, which mm-hmm. you know. Classic. Let a
2: woman do let let some other woman do a little like um, Charlize Theron and Monster moment, though. You know, like ugly themselves up a bit.
3: Uh huh. Uh huh. Like really get into character. Yeah, but I feel like mm-hmm. she has kind of like a um, a naughty humor, right? Well, we we overheard that weird. Exchange with Charles where they were joking about what was it, tampons or something? Yeah. So something's going on. Again, Dottie is the word.
2: Okay. How old was she then?
3: She would have been about forty-eight.
2: Mm, well, adultery ages you. <laughs> God don't like ugly.
3: No. Camilla. Jesus Christ. <laughs> god don't like ugly that's that's all right that's ira's advice that's
2: the tagline camilla god don't like ugly
3: (laughs) actually i think she looks chic as fuck to be honest but uh i also thought i also thought queen elizabeth throughout the ages always had a cool look i i was just like like the look on her face i always felt kind of rad and self-possessed yeah All right, well... I'm a royalist, ultimately. They've made no mistakes, and I support them.
2: Respond to us, you know, if you have your own ideas of who should play Camilla. Yes, thank you. Yeah. All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It.
3: Lewis, what's yours? I just want to say about the Keep It segment in general, that while we're having a fun time on this podcast, sometimes the Keep It is not that fun. Okay? And it's a moment of serious self-reflection for me. And you know how like Garfield gets on the stage and then waits for the tomatoes? It's one of those. So just be prepared. Keep it. To barack obama's presidential portrait guys i know he wanted something different but when they unveiled that thing and it was barack in front of a white backdrop you guys it's giving excedrin commercial guys we're talking about the white house right now that looks like something that hangs in the paley center i looked at this thing and i again he plenty of things set him apart from other presidents even just as it pertains to this podcast actually cares about pop culture in a cool way. When he puts out that movie list, it's not a try-hard list. He clearly has seen everything and picks his favorite. He's an unexpectedly huge Brandy Carlisle fan. Like, actual taste going on with this former president. So when I saw this portrait, I wanted to sign on, and sign on specifically to the fact that it is different from all these other ones. But man, a white backdrop. You're the president of the United States. You're not Candace Bergen for Sprint. Ah, oh. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> it doesn't look good. Robert,
2: it's from Robert McCurdy, and his portraits tend to have a bit of a um, "Humans of New York" feel to them.
3: Yeah, uh huh.
2: You With, know, it's which very. I, I, I
3: could have embraced that in certain circumstances, but here, I mean, it looks like he's just, you know, selling us car insurance or something.
2: Yeah, I don't. You know what? And I also don't love Michelle's either.
3: It's okay. I mean, like, that one at it's least fine. has color in it, you know? So, mm-hmm. Which I'm sure, uh, you know, I, I, I don't mean to shame Mamie Eisenhower, but I'm sure Michelle is giving more color and more personality than maybe F- First Ladies of the Past did. So I'm happy to see that represented. But
2: Of course. And yeah. that's from Sharon Sprung. I just feel like um, Sharon's, like, are a bit more dynamic in um, her other work. And the Michelle one just seems a bit, I'm like, who is she looking at? <laughs> the 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 you know, and like it doesn't feel like her she's she feels a bit cartoonish in it, you know? Mm. Like the it's not fully realized to me, but maybe I just love the the last one so much, the Amy Sheryl one.
3: Wait, and I and I loved his the one in the garden. That was so yes. awesome. And like, whoa, you'll never forget that, you know.
2: Yeah. The Kende Wiley one. Um, that one was gorgeous. That one was like that was art. Correct um you know she's always trying something new that barack
3: right but as it stands it's like barack is looking at us and saying happy honda days and i don't want to <laughs> celebrate <laughs> uh, ira what right. your keep it save us um my keep
2: it goes to um boy meets world star ben savage who is running for West Hollywood City Council currently?
3: He sure is. And that makes me think he's just my neighbor or something. Can I peek out the window, look at this <laughs> sure. bedmo and check out Corey Matthews walking in and picking up some mics hard?
2: Yeah. I'm like, where, where do you live, Ben? Um, I assumed he had other things to do with his life. You know, um, his brother's career's in ruins. Um, it sure is. So. Yeah. So I I figured, you know, he'd be dealing with family issues. But listen, the name of the game in politics is when your family is in turmoil, um, that's the time for you to step up.
3: (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. I've not really checked in with Ben Savage in a number of years. So maybe he'll be unexpectedly amazing or a a political mastermind or whatever i mean i I don't have any updates on him other than it would be funny go ahead do you have one um
2: a few weeks ago he posted an instagram story of him hanging out with the l.a county sheriff's deputies um we love them and you know he is um a friend of the police
3: (laughs) so lord god okay whatever (laughs) exciting (laughs) really exciting no, wouldn't it be amazing, though, if like he had detractors on the board and every time they disagreed with him, they brought out like Mr. Feeney to scold him. Come on. That'd be fun.
2: That would actually be very funny. But, you know, I'm like, I, I, I don't need Corey Matthews being pro cop and running for office in West Hollywood. What are you doing? No. Also, and is this like, is this like a. Is it like a dream? Like, as you said, like, I don't associate him with West Hollywood. So, like, what is this? Is this like a stepping stone to run for other things in the future? I'm very suspicious.
3: And also, I mean, West Hollywood, he's going to be presiding over some really faggoty issues. I mean, has he he expressed any mastery of this (laughs) subject once upon a time? Like, does he know where I'm going to park when the parade hits? I don't know.
2: Well, he said that West Hollywood is the best city on earth and that um, West Hollywood Mayor Lauren Meister needs some backup and that WeHo needs a clear set of eyes and someone with no attachments.
3: Okay. Um, I believe it needs three more Starbucks. So uh, let's get on that.
2: (laughs) I believe the bars need to be open until 4 a.m.
3: Yeah, that concerns me. Yeah. If I'm at Mickey's, I need that person writhing on the pole till at least 346. Okay.
2: (laughs) Uh, anyway my keep it's to him I also have another side keep it that disappoints me to say oh
3: um, go ahead
2: I don't know what's going on with um, Rina Sawayama's current song releases but um, they're not for me oh that's too bad and um, this hell was amazing and the other ones I just I want to know what's going on I want to know what she's going through (laughs) Um, they're giving a little, um, Disney channel, original movie soundtrack. Interesting. Um,
3: so she's hearing yeah. away from the, you know, Evanescence. Less uh, of the
2: industrial, like hardcore. I'm just like, it seems very, it's very earnest. I w- I'm just wondering what was going on. Yeah. Mm. Earnest. Not the same thing not as having keep a good it. time. Not, not to keep it, but not to keep <laughs> it up. Just a um, hey, um, keep us in the loop. Yeah, (laughs) keep us informed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just I just want to know what you're going through, sis. We want to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if there's like a greater plan here, you know, I'm happy to hear it. Great. But um, right now, you know, um, I'm not finding any perks in being a wallflower.
3: That so interesting. Um, I want to add also that I'm confused about. Kelly Clarkson and Dolly Parton, when they put out a, I'm going to generously call it a ballad version of Nine to Five, were they thinking, I think what the song needs is for the fun to be wrung out of it like a rag and Mm. instead we will just not dance and I guess, you know, meditate on the shittiness of the workplace. That's just all we got out of that song. Okay, great.
2: Late stage capitalism has taken, you know, nine to five, which was a call to arms. And now it's the song you hear when you're on hold, yeah. um, <laughs> calling your nine to five to call out because you're sick.
3: Right. Literally waiting for your ship to come in while you're on hold. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: just questions. All right. That's all we have.
2: Yeah. I just, yeah. Just keep
3: us in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you later. <laughs>
2: uh she's never going on this podcast again no. <laughs> uh, she hates me now uh, at any rate uh thank you to edward Innfall for being here this week and uh remember to check out full episodes of keep it on the uncultured youtube channel despite the name it is a very cultured youtube channel um and don't forget to rate and review keep it on your podcast platform of choice apple Podcasts, spotify Google Play, Stitcher, HBO Max Discovery. I don't know. Wherever you get Keep It. We'll see you soon with more Keep It. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Lewis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis, and Kyle Seglin
3: is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delan Villanueva for production support every week. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna